Hello, everyone. Welcome to our July Ad Heart Call, Inspiring Forward Movement and Heart-Powered Intention. I'm your host, Deborah Rosman. And our theme this month, which I think is very appropriate, given what's going on in many big cities in the world, is Ad Heart to Help Heal Communities. During this unprecedented and challenging times that we have of the global protests against racial inequality, the COVID-19 resurgence, and all the divisions within our politics, within our communities, with our police who are trying to adjust to what's going on, it's really important to add heart to help ease separation and promote healing. My guest today is Michael Neela, and he's doing some wonderful work in this area. Michael is the managing partner of Blue Courage, and Blue Courage partners with HeartMath Institute to bring HeartMath tools and resilience training to community service agencies, police departments, and Michael himself is a retired police commander and the 2016 recipient of the Attorney General's Award for Meritorious Public Service. And he also received HeartMath Institute's Humanitarian Award for how he's promoting the heart and well-being through resilience training among police departments. So it's so honored to have you here today with us, Michael. Welcome to our Ad Heart Call. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Well, this is a, as I said, a tumultuous time for so many and for police and people that you work with, training and communities, share with us how you help them add heart and what you see and how adding heart can help. Well, what a fascinating question, uh, particularly when we're dealing with the, the world of, of policing, which tends to be incredibly dark, incredibly cynical. Um, mm. and, and, of course, these times have uh, magnified that, you know, many, 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 many times. Um, you know, when you talked about intention with the title of, of this series, one of the things that we are working hard to do is to get police officers to, uh, to literally follow their heart in terms of how they live, how they lead, and, and how they police, and certainly in how uh, they make their intentions for their work every single day. The heart... Um, has become the focus literally of everything we do and that's because of the influence of of heart math and people like Dr. Mark Crawley and leading from the heart and and Dr. Doty and his work as well Um, because heart math for us made the connection um, for us to realize that there's a powerful force that moves us and it isn't just our our brain and our intellect Uh, it's what we allow ourselves to open up to and be vulnerable to and and to feel and um, those are some of the things that we in policing are not very good at. In fact, we're quite exceptional at the opposite. We're quite exceptional at building walls around our heart and, and uh, protecting ourselves from the feeling and the emotion because that's the only way we survive um, with the mm. things that we experience. So we have done a tremendous amount of things to awaken our police profession to the power of the heart 
we uh, in Blue Courage, one of the core foundations of what we teach is what we call uh, the pathway from inspiration to mastery. And the very first step in that pathway is creating the right heart set and influencing the right heart set in others um, before we ever then get to the, to the mindset. Um, because everything we do in policing, from policy literally to law to how we're led to how we're trained, um, is, is really an attempt to influence our mindset. And we always say, no, there's something that precedes that because it's the heart that gives permission uh, to the mind to be open to wonder and to be intellectually curious and to realize and feel that there's something here that, that is a benefit to you if you're willing to be open to it. So we, everything we do in Blue Courage is about uh, attempting to uh, influence not just the mind but even more profoundly to influence the heart because we feel that once we do that, you know, we've cracked the code, you know, and 90% of the, of the work is, is often done then because when the heart feels it and is open, and literally we see physical change in the police officer sitting in front of us when we speak to their heart uh, and not just to their intellect. So that's fascinating and wonderful. What kind of, like you started off saying, you know, this is a profession where, people shut off their heart just to survive, which of course doesn't give them their higher intelligence to make the best decisions a lot of the right. time. And so what kind of receptivity do you see when you teach this and changes do you see in the people who then practice the heart math tools? Do you, you know, how do they handle it? Do you see their transformation after they get out of the classroom and in the, in the street? Um, well, we see the transformation because our typical Blue Courage course is a two-day course. So we see the transformation immediately on day two. We start our day two training, which, by the way, is right before we do the resilience module from HeartMath. Um, but on day one, we've laid the foundation for it. In the very opening minutes, we talk about we are here to influence uh, the heart and mind of the guardian, and we're going to focus on the heart. Why? Because, because the heart is where our real intelligence comes from. The heart is really the seed of our soul and our universe, and the heart is what's leading us and informing literally everything that we're doing mentally and physically. And we start in the opening minutes of the class to awaken them to that. Now, they don't always know what that means, but we make it very clear that we're not here to just dump knowledge and behaviors mm -hmm. into their head. We're here to touch their heart. Um, mm -hmm. And then when we see them on day two, we start day two with what we call reflections, which is, you know, what did you hear yesterday that was profound? Did you do anything different when you got home last night as a consequence uh, of, uh, of the training yesterday? And, and invariably, the comments from people about what they did, how they spent their evening with their family, or some of them went to work, how they, how they placed that evening, their expressions of the heart. They're, they're, uh, you know, in fact, just in this last class, we heard a powerful story from one of the attendees who said, you know, I, every day when I get home from work, I'm exhausted, and, and I sit down on the couch, and I'm mindlessly flipping through the channels, and, you know, my, my kid will often say, Dad, you know, can we go play catch, or can we do something, and I'll always say, yeah, maybe later, which they know, they've learned means no. Um, but he said, last night when my son asked me, I jumped up, and I said, yeah, let's go. And he said, and even though I was tired emotionally, I was renewed when I was finished. Mm -hmm. And I realized what I'm cheating them out of. You know, that's, that's an expression of the heart. That's an awakening yeah. of something inside of that police officer's heart that not only touches his family, but extends way beyond that to everything that they do as leaders or as police officers. And so we, uh, we hear examples like that all the time. 
That's wonderful. That is true transformation. How do you see an opportunity now with the pressure on and the media on every and with all the body cams, you know, all the pressure on the police? Do you see more opportunity for you to and others to come and train about the heart? Is there more receptivity? Because that can make the whole difference between whether someone pulls a pulls the trigger out of fear or tries some other method of uh, communication. Yeah, there's no question that this is an immense uh, opportunity. It's also a difficult time to see the opportunity. You know, when when uh, when the officers graduated and they got their certificates on Friday, you know, one of the points I made to them is this is the most exciting time to be uh, a police leader and a police officer, despite the challenges, the immense opportunity that's in front of us to change a nation's mindset, mindset and stereotypes uh, of police officers is, is in front of us. The opportunity to reimagine policing and make us better is in front of us. And so I, I always tell them that while this is a tough time to be here, what an exciting time to be here, because what you do now it has the opportunity to influence policing in a positive way for the next hundred years. Um, so Police officers um, probably today are probably looking at it through three lenses. Uh, one lens is confusion. You know, so, so maybe young officers mm-hmm. who haven't been on the job very long and are thrust into into this moment without a lot of experience, and maybe they haven't become cynical yet, uh, are, are are confused and they're wondering what the heck is this about and is this the norm? And then we have uh, officers who you know perhaps have gotten cynical or have simply had enough, or whose families are telling them, look, you know, you need to get out. You know, and 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 they're looking at a way to leave the profession, and then you have uh, a third group of officers who are, and this is the smallest number, by the way, who are saying things to themselves like, um, you know, what am I doing here, and this is crazy, and, you know, I don't have to be here. But then all of a sudden their heart speaks to them, and they say, yeah, but man, what an opportunity to change the landscape of policing mm. right now. And so they respond to that challenge, and they respond to that that inspirational moment where we have an opportunity to really, really, really influence positive change. And so there's officers out there who are responding to that as well, and I've talked to mm-hmm. them. Um, uh, obviously, there's not a lot of them, but, uh, <laughs> but they're there, and there, there mm-hmm. is where the opportunity lies. Um, yeah. And then also to awaken those who perhaps have gotten cynical and have dark, uh, have got uh, embraced the darkness, to in- inspire them to see something different than, than the ugliness that's in front of them. And to hear something different than things like defund the police or decertify the police or let's end the police. And they're, they're listening to those voices so loudly that they can't hear the voice of their own heart or their inspiration. Right, right. That sounds like a total rejection instead of how do we come together. Um, you know, when people use the term defund the police, get out of here, basically, be, instead of how do we... How do we create more community policing? I know you have had experience in that. I'm not sure exactly what that term means or if it means <laughs> the same thing to everybody, but I've always envisioned it as a way that social service agencies respond to mental health problems rather than the police. We're asking police to be everything from doctor to psychiatrist to um, yeah, a soldier. And it doesn't seem fair. How do you, what do you, what's your vision of and have you seen it work going from the traditional police agencies to some kind of a community shared response? 
Yeah, what a what a huge question to answer because we have been at community policing for since literally the mid-1980s to the early adopters to the more uh, prevalence in our profession in the, in the 90s. So we've been at this a long time, but we still don't get it. We still don't understand it. I mean, in its simplistic form, community policing, by the way, all policing should be poli- community policing because who do we police? We police the community. So those right. of us who are deeply schooled in community policing said, well, why are we even calling it that? It should just be called policing. That's what we do. But traditional policing has evolved. It has morphed into something that we don't call policing anymore. We call it law enforcement. So law law enforcement is a narrow part of the function of policing. Policing in its broader sense is the caretakers of the community and the the, uh, providing uh, the, the safety and protection and whatever our community needs. But community policing is an attempt, a philosophical approach to policing that says the police is not paternalistic to the community that we don't see you as something that we have to take, take care of. We see you as a partner uh, in us in, in community safety and in making our communities um, safe for everybody. In fact, in, in, in um, uh, Sir Robert Peel, when he started the first police, London Metropolitan Police, after which American policing is modeled after, um, he created what is called the nine principles of modern policing, and those principles are still true today. One of those principles was uh, the public, uh, the police are the public, and the public are the police. The only difference between the two is one has a paid full-time function to do what is incumbent on all citizens in, in, in the interest of community safety. So he was making the point that, you know, public safety is everybody's responsibility. Um, and, and in community policing, we work hard to work in partnership alongside the citizens uh, to, to make our neighborhoods and our communities overall safe. But I will tell you it has been a failed exercise because police officers most often see ourselves as law enforcement officers. We see ourselves as, you know, um, people who too often are doing something to the community versus policing and standing alongside of them. But there's been many, many, many success stories of uh, police departments, LAPD, NYPD, who to a large extent have shifted um, their their style of policing to more of a neighborhood approach, and it, it mm. is, is it has had dramatically different impact. You l- listen to many citizens in in LA, and they will tell you the police are behind us beside us now. Now that doesn't mean all of them are there, <laughs> but uh, but there has been dramatic shifts in the building of trust and the relationship between the police and the community. We just haven't don't have enough of it yet. We're still that yeah. work in progress. Yeah. Well, that is so encouraging that there's at least some of it because even the word police can create a negative feeling in people, like you're somehow going to force me to do something rather than it's a cooperative thing so we all can get along and take care of each other. Uh, That would be the heart view, and I think that would go a long ways to help heal and deepen listening among all the constituents, deepen not, not only trust, but hearing and communicating, which is so needed. Otherwise, different factions are stuck in their projections and their fears. Well, so no question, you know, Deborah, um, that is such an important point because, you know, when we grew up, you know, people my age grew up, when we grew up, you know, when we would see, when our parents would see police officers, they would say to us, hey, if you ever need help, 
go to go to a police officer. Mm-hmm. That has shifted. Sometime in the last 30 years, that shifted to uh, parents telling their children, see the police officer over there? If you, do, if you don't behave, I'm going to report you to them. And so the right. police became... Uh, uh, rather than an object of care and of service and, of, and a safe haven for you to go to, to somebody who, you know, has the potential to do something to you. And that, that last sentiment is very much alive today. You know, and then you see police officers, you know, in a more militaristic era of policing where we've adopted military-type tactics and we dress like soldiers and we have military-type intervention weapons and vehicles, the community sees us more less as that officer-friendly, you know, uh, that um, the Norman Rockwell painting of the police officer sitting at the soda fountain next to the young yeah. young boy. You know, that's the image that we have to have as police officers, rather than, you know, I can't see your face, I can't see anything, but boy, the the the, the outfit that you're wearing tells you that you're here to do something to me. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that has to shift. But at the same time, we have a very violent society. Uh, that has become much more violent with which with greater weapons as well and so the police are stuck in the middle you know they want to go home at the end of the night too they don't they don't want to get harmed even though we are willingly putting ourselves in harm's way you know we have to be smart about how we do that um, you know, there's over 22,000 names on that National Police Memorial Wall of, of police officers who have given uh, their lives in the line of duty. My uncle's name is, is on that wall. And so police officers are very well aware of it. We've lost five police officers in the last uh, week just in Texas alone. So, you know, that's front and center in, in a police officer's heart as well. Um, so it's a very difficult challenge to balance that uh, um, between you know, I'm here to help you and I'm here to serve you, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I, I'm prepared to kill you if that's what it takes. Yeah. That's a very difficult balance. And, and police officers, uh, humans, uh, citizens don't always understand that, that path that police officers walk that is very precarious, very precarious. You know, and oh, you mentioned also, yeah, you mentioned, Deborah, and this is a really important point, how the community sees us. The community expects too much of us. We're not supermen. You know, I, I often will bring a police officer up in the middle of class and, and in uniform who looks just magnificent in their uniform. And I would say, look, this is what the community sees. And when they see this police officer in this uniform with these weapons and the symbol of justice and their power, which is in the badge and the shield, um, they expect that we can do anything. They think we're masterful, that we're the police, we're the best trained people on the planet. But the reality is, if you pull back the curtain, you know, a lot of it is smoke and mirrors because we're not the best trained people on the planet. Um, We're not as educated as we should be. We haven't placed enough emphasis on the human development, uh, particularly the the heart development um, that a police officer must have. And then we don't understand when they act in ways that are different from, you know, how we think they should. So, yeah, we expect way too much. Really good points. Really good points. You know, when I was little, like you said, you know, people would ask little girls what they wanted to become when they grow up and it was either nurses or teachers and they asked little boys and it was either police or firemen because it felt noble all those occupations felt heart-based and noble do you feel the the men and women who are entering policing now to the police academies do they still have that vision of helping society or and then it gets disillusioned once they're there Um, what is the tone of those recruits. 
Yeah, most of the recruits, when they come in, some of them just need a job. You know, so some of them want a right. hey, paycheck every two weeks, good benefits, this sounds good. Um, but many of them, policing is a legacy profession, you know, like, like me. My uncle brainwashed me to be a cop when I was, you know, before I was 10 years old. So, you know, he influenced me. And there's many, many police officers have parents, uncles, mothers, sisters, you know, brothers who are police officers. And mm-hmm. so we called it a legacy profession because we're, we're inspired by those who came before us that, that we hold dear. Um, and then there's those who just say, man, you know, I, I, this is a noble calling. And I just want to do it. This is an opportunity to do good and to help. Um, but what I always say to, to uh, leaders in policing and people who teach in the police academy, what I call the influencers of our police officers, you, you teach and influence a wide range of people who are there for a wide range of purposes, whether they're noble or just need a job, whatever it might be. Our job as leaders and influencers is to give the people in front of us, give our police officers a reason to be in love with this profession and to be in love with its, its noble uh, calling and, and, and the just cause of what we do every day, that, you know, to instill in them the sense that we are the pursuers of justice in the longest-running democracy in the history of the world that is grounded in justice. And that justice is the oldest and highest aspiration of human civilization. And that's what we serve. So, you know, we always work hard to make sure that when police officers are in our presence, they're understanding the depth of the noble nature and the important nature of the work that they do. So we can uplift them in the service of what they do. So they don't focus so much on the sacrifice, but they, serve, they focus on the quest of the mission and, and the purpose. And when we I, do that... They come alive, and of course, that yeah, you only get yeah. that by speaking to their heart. Right, right, and I mean, there's nothing more heartwarming when I see things on TV than a police officer loving the constituents, helping Absolutely. out, serving, expressing right. that heart. It gives you so much hope and feeling whether they're helping a homeless person or helping a child or just helping someone of color. That sets such a tone of we're here to love our community, and sometimes it's yeah. tough love and sometimes it's soft love, but that's yeah. that's the, uh, what underpins justice for me, you know, is yeah. that quality of, of love and care, and yeah. it takes different shapes. Yeah, absolutely. And at the core of what we are instilling in people, uh, in our police officers when we teach Blue Courage, is to not be afraid of the word love. You know, we don't right. say it enough. We, we very boldly tell them, uh, you know, you cannot lead people who you do not love. You cannot police people right. who you do not love. You can't teach right. people who you do not love. So the first uh, requisite of good policing is t- you have to love. I didn't say like because there's many, many people we work with right. that we don't particularly right. like. But you have to love their humanness, their humanity, their human dignity. And when you can... Let that fuel your choices and your decisions. Man, that changes everything. You know, there's right. a, an amazing story that uh, from uh, a Blue Courage trained San Francisco police officer um, who was telling us that uh, she was working in a, on a footbeat in one of the bad areas that she chooses to work in in San Francisco with a lot of homeless. And she was dealing with uh, one who had a, a colostomy bag. And while they're interacting, the colostomy bag breaks all over her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it explodes. It doesn't just leak. It explodes. So she's got, you know, human excrement in her hair and in her face and on her uniform. And, and her first thought was of adject horror. You know, of course, that, that would be anybody's response. But then 
after that, she heard what we teach in Blue Courage. We teach people to ask themselves this question to get into their heart. What is this moment asking of me? And she said, I heard that question in my heart and in my head, and immediately I shifted, and I went for, thank God, I'm the one who's here to deal with this moment with a little bit of grace and dignity for this person. Oh. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's superhuman. Well, but but the work you're doing, and I just have to appreciate you so much, Michael, and, and hope that it just expands all over the country, is so needed. And you're opening hearts, which allows intuition and intelligence, heart intelligence, to come in right in the moment of need, like right at that yeah. moment. That's right. where the rubber meets the road. That's where it counts, and that is the power of the heart. And I just want to thank you for the work you're doing. Well, we That's couldn't going... do it without what we've learned from HeartMath and our, our association and partnership. We've learned so much from all of you uh, and continue to learn, by the way. And everything we learn, we share with, uh, with mm. the people that we love in this profession. That's wonderful. Gives me a lot of hope. Let's do our heart meditation, everybody who's on the call together, so that we can power up what we've just heard and add more heart to healing of communities and let's start by focusing in the heart pretend our breath is flowing in and out of the heart or chest area breathing a little deeper than normal find an easy rhythm that's casual As you continue heart-focused breathing, just breathe appreciation for the heart and for the heart intelligence that can help inform us and guide us to how we can better serve ourselves and each other. Now let's radiate our collective heart-powered intention to the healing of communities. Envision and appreciate police, social service agencies, community organizers coming together in the heart, having heart-based connections with each other. See them co-creating more heart-based communities as a new normal.
Now let's close by appreciating each other and our hearts and our heart-powered intentions and create a reservoir of empowering heart energy that we can each draw upon during this next month to help energize our own communities at home, at work, society, wherever we interact and energize our heart connections over the next month. So let's create that reservoir we can tap into and make those shifts whenever a neighbor, a law enforcement, a fireman, a person, anyone of color, whoever might disrupt us to come back to the heart. Let's do that. Let's radiate some appreciation to Michael and all the wonderful work he's doing to bring heart into our communities. Thank you, Michael. We'll radiate some heart to you. Thank you. Okay, thank you everyone for participating in this important call. I feel it's important because it's how we're going to learn all to get along with each other in the world and our communities by adding heart. And we can do that and have to do that together. So again, thank you, Michael. Honored to be here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Next month's Ad Heart call will be at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Tuesday, August 18th. And we look forward to spending that time with everybody again. Have a wonderful month. Take care.